Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we're talking Chelsea with Mauricio Pochettino under pressure after an EFL Cup defeat against Middlesbrough. We'll also be discussing Kylian Mbappe, Jadon Sancho and Timo Werner. And joining me, Tom Clark, for all of that, we've got the Chief Correspondent for The Times and Sunday Times, Martin Samuel, and two former footballers. One who won Ligue 2 title with Marseille and Nancy, and another who won Ligue 2 with Chesterfield. <laughs> Tony Cascarino and Gregor Robertson are here. I'll let you work Please out which That was, yeah. <laughs> come on. Come on. It's got all the way to January and I've not done the League 2, League 2 thing. <clears throat> Excellent. Not bad. Well done, yeah. Even yeah. Martin Samuel's smiling. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's because I'm on medication. Yeah, yeah, well, that's fair. Yeah. Um, we'll brush past the medication and straight on to a very more serious topic. Um, because I wanted to, before we get into all those enticing football debates from the week, uh, I just wanted to highlight uh, Martin's excellent piece on Franz Beckenbauer, who died this week aged 78. Uh, after losing to England in the 1966 World Cup final, the Germany legend won the World Cup as a player, a captain and then a manager. Um, this excerpt is from Martin's excellent piece. Beckenbauer, more than any player before and quite possibly since, was both the last line of defence and the first line of attack. That his greatness coincided with a high point for English international football means he is also inextricably linked with the fortunes of this nation, perhaps more than any other footballer not from these shores. Martin, it was a brilliant piece about a brilliant player. Tell us a bit more about him. About him? um, He was... uh, Well, he changed the idea of what a defender could be. That was was, uh, Beckenbauer's greatest contribution to to football. Um, He's remembered as a sweeper. And that leads people to think that he played sweeper in the 1966 World Cup, which he didn't. He was a creative midfield player in the 1966 World Cup. He scored four goals. Uh, He was voted uh, young player of the tournament, which means he beats Alan Ball, uh, which would have taken some doing, bearing in mind. A lot of people regard Alan Ball as a man of the match in the final itself. Um, And from there... Because he was such a creative player, that's where the whole sweeper idea evolved because it was a way of protecting him. It was a way of him being at the back because he had a, a great reading of the game and a great defensive mind. But also it stopped people being able to mark him. So it didn't affect him as a, a creative player because he could just play fantastic passes out to the wing. He could still find... Gerd Muller, he could still find Gunter Netzer as, as uh, England found to their cost in 1972. 
Um, and also, if he wanted to, if the space opened up ahead of him, he had the wit to break into that space, and then he had the, the, the speed of thought, the speed of his feet to lay off quick passes. And so he changed what a defender could be. Um, he, you know, there'd been attacking players in in more backward starting positions until Beckenbauer, but no one uh, did it like him. Mm. And uh, he really is one of the most influential footballers um, that the world's ever seen. And in that final, he and Bobby Charlton almost cancelled themselves, cancelled each other out, weren't they? They were the star matchup, and yeah, it's a great irony that 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 um, everyone says that Helmut Schön. Um, wasted Beckenbauer in the final because he told him to man mark Bobby Charlton. What people don't realise was that Alf Ramsey told Bobby Charlton to, to to mark Franz Beckenbauer. So they did. They they cancelled each other out, and, and it's a um, they died. There's a certain symmetry uh, in the fact that they died within three months of each other as well. Uh, these two just colossal footballers for their country. I mean, Beckenbauer was every bit as significant in Germany as Sir Bobby Charlton was in this country. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, the, that, that's the status that, that we're talking about here. Certainly a colossal football giant. And you can read Martin's piece if you go to the Times website and just search for Martin's name and Franz Beckenbauer. The tribute will come up excellent and well worth your time. Uh, moving on, gents. And as I say, coming back to the week's action Chelsea, we have to talk about Chelsea. Beaten 1-0 against Middlesbrough in the first leg of their EFL Cup semi-final. Uh, Mauricio Pochettino under a little bit of pressure. It varies in which quarters he's under pressure. Um, whether us in the media think uh, he's under pressure, whether it's Chelsea fans who are a little bit fed up, whether they want to give him time. So that's my first question. Do we think he's under pressure? Do we think his job is at risk? Tony, I'll start with you. Um, no, I don't think his job is at risk. I think everybody's waiting for this trying to arrive. Um, spending so much having quality players having a youth system that seemingly was one of the best in the country but not many product, products from it so far uh, in my opinion that stayed at the football club um, I phoned a few players ex-players who I played with in 94 Cup Final um, this week and said what, what do you make of this Chelsea team because we were mid-table in the year we made 94 we was a mid-table team that's where Chelsea are now and I just sort of wanted their opinion of the present Chelsea team against our team of 94, just as a matter of interest. Mm. Uh, and most of us were pretty negative towards this one because we said, well, we had character and heart and, OK, maybe not as much quality, but there was a lot of fighting spirit and it, we were quite dynamic in the way we played is, is we got things in early. Um, OK, the game's changed and evolved, but... The, to a man, I think I asked about four ex-Chelsea players. We'd have loved to play this. Yeah, the whole, the whole thought was we'd love to play the present team. Why? Why so? <laughs> it's soft. It's soft. Yeah. It's a soft way of playing. It's keep the ball. And yeah, look, they get loads of chances and they've not been clinical. And and that could one day arrive at Chelsea where they are more clinical in the second part of the season. Um, but it's they're an easy team to play against. The way they play, it is. It's not end product very often they'll come inside and they'll go across the pitch and go out the other side and it, it just feels it's an easier team now obviously we all get nostalgic and the past is always glorious and you know the present is not so good and well footballers have improved a hell of a lot the 
technical ability of the modern day player is far superior to us, you know. And so I have to take that into account. But it still doesn't. I still can't get the feeling unless this Chelsea team have something more ruthless about them that they are just going to be a mid-table team and maybe a tad better. But no way are they a top six team at the moment. Martin, I'll come back to Pochettino, but your reaction to Tony's point about that, those two comparisons and that soft underbelly that he feels this Chelsea team yeah, has. Yeah, I, I can't disagree that they look soft. I, I really can't disagree that they look soft. I mean, I put Middlesbrough. Um, I mean, it was highlighted in a, a, a newspaper that the, you know, Caicedo basically not finishing the job, you know, tracked back to a certain way and then stopped and gets completely done for the goal and, uh, and everything. Look, it's half-time. Um, in real terms, the old cliche, first leg, it's only half-time. Um, you would still expect Chelsea to go through because they're at Stamford Bridge and they're at home. Um, and so they should be able to overcome Middlesbrough by two goals, given that it will go on to extra time and you'll have two hours to, to beat Middlesbrough 2-0. But... They look a they look a, a softish team basically. They don't look. Um, you're not surprised, say. You know, Middlesbrough won Chelsea nil. You're not sitting there going, "Well, that's a that's an upset." Because it, it you know, Michael Carrick's a good manager. Um, there was always a chance it would happen. Hmm. Do you want me to say to talk about Pochettino? Yeah, because I'd love you to. because um, they'd be mad. To get rid of Pochettino, there was a, there was a suggestion this week that you know Pochettino out was trending on uh, social media that there were Chelsea fan groups saying, "Oh, we've got to get rid of him." They're crackers if they get rid of Pochettino. He's the only he's the only chance they've got at the moment, Chelsea, because at Tottenham he got a young team together and eventually made it work. Now this is what Chelsea have got. They've got a young team now. Then they're not they as we have said on this podcast many many times they got rid of all the experience and they brought in a lot of young players now you you've got to wait for that to, it doesn't matter what it costs you've still got to wait for that all to knit um there is an issue where um they've got so many that, 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 that there seems to be this constant churn in personnel when you're looking at the team i can see Things that people I uh, can see issues that people ask about persevering with Colwell at, at left back when he looks he looks a weakness in that position. Um, having said all this, wh- who who do they think? Who do they think is out there that you can guarantee is going to do better than Pochettino? You've got a manager. You, you've got a very very good manager. You've got a manager really that. You can you can argue they're quite fortunate to to get because he had oh God knows how many opportunities to go to Manchester United and it, and the timings never quite worked out. Mm. There was the opportunity to return to Tottenham, but I mean he probably thought that was as, as bad an idea as everyone else did. But you know he could have been in a lot of different places and been completely unavailable to Chelsea, but the fates aligned and they've got him. Mm. Well, then you've got to let the man coach the club and shape the club and mould the club and see where he can get it, not where he can get it in six months. Do you think there's a slight um, 
disparity between his treatment and how we're perceiving him and with Graham Potter? Because some of the things you've just said in terms of that time, mm-hmm. lots of changes could have been levelled at Graham Potter and yet they decided to make that switch. Why do you think it is that maybe fans and us in the media are seeing it differently? Is it because Potter came before, so then Pochettino maybe gets a bit more time? Mm. I, I think by the end of the time with Potter, it didn't make sense to anybody even his even his great and we've got you know Matt Tench who's, who's one of our guys in in the office here and um uh, and Matt was a massive defender of um of Graham Potter and I, I can remember having conversations with him about it and and everything by the time Graham Potter was sacked even Matt wasn't putting up too much of an argument because mm. You, you know, by the end of it, I saw a few of those games towards the end where you're just sitting there thinking, I don't, I don't know what he's doing. I don't, mm. I don't know why he's doing that. I can't understand it. And 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 I think why Graham Potter might have got different treatment is also it was his first elite club job. So there was a little bit of sort of doubt around there. Can he? Whereas with Pochettino, he has managed some big teams. So you're not sitting there thinking... Well, he can't handle managing an elite football club. Um, he can't handle big names. He can't handle big personalities or, or whatever. You're not thinking that with Pochettino because of his track record and where he's been and the players he's worked with. So he's got that going for him. Mm. Um, you know, and you just can't keep sacking managers every six months. You know, you can't. In the end, you've got to have a little bit of faith in somebody. Um and you, you could argue they got rid of Potter too early, but but I must admit, by the end of it, I, I couldn't make sense of what some of what the man was doing. Whereas Pochettino, I can understand what he's trying to do. Mm. Gregor, you've been quite critical of Chelsea, well, very critical of Chelsea at times this season, but not necessarily always of Pochettino, more of the players and maybe the kind of off-field decision-making process. Do you think it's time we start turning our attention to Pochettino, or is it still more about this jumbled-up squad of players that don't really make sense? It's still all about the the surrounding issues, I think, for me. But having said that, this is a big month because if you look at his, you compare his record with with Potter's, he's won twelve and lost nine of twenty six games as manager. Uh, Potter had won twelve and lost eleven of thirty one, and this month they've got the two cup games, mm-hmm. so the return leg against Borough yeah. and then Villa in the FA Cup. So you go for, go out of both of them. They've got and that's sandwiched with. Uh, a derby against Fulham coming up and then a trip to Anfield so January mm. could be quite decisive for their season yeah, actually yeah. and then I think you know also the, it would if it doesn't go well it would change the mood music I think around around his future and I'm not saying that would be right a- again but th- there sometimes just becomes a comes you come to a point of sort of no return and we're not there yet but it's not impossible to see that coming into view before the end of the season because mm. you know Chelsea Chelsea cannot possibly countenance spending a billion pounds in three transfer windows and being tenth or twelfth in the no. league or whatever. Oh, like, it's not. This is not. This was not in the plan. Mm. See, uh, see, it's, I just honestly, just one thing, Gregor. It's just because the dynamic of Chelsea, and whether you agree with Abramovich or not, was that Abramovich might have sacked him already. That's the truth of the matter. Mm. Now. I'm with Martin. I don't think it's a good idea. And Gregor's sort of alluding to the same thing. But Chelsea set a standard of what they were as a football club. And the, and the it's important, gone, though. Yeah, it, it's it gone. has gone. But the people who bought it want to get it back pretty quickly. Yeah. And if very wealthy men sometimes go, do you know, if it's not working very quickly, 
change. Yeah. You know, there are teams in Europe who do. PSG change regular. Bayern Munich will change regular. You know, Chelsea might be that type of club in, in England where they go, OK, we spent a lot of money, but this isn't working as quick as we wanted to, and we're going to do it again. We, we and, and, and that's why, you've, you know, you've alluded to, it's a big January. It bloody well is a big January for him because he will get associated with their problems as well because they are looking in for him to find solutions. And when you don't, and whether it's Colwell at left or Colwell at left back and does it work or not, or other position, why is Caicedo nothing like the player that we saw at Brighton? You know, when you start going all down the line of all these issues at a football club, the people upstairs will want to know answers. So it's not a given that if he has a bad January, that he will still be the manager by Feb March. It's not. The, the Colwell thing is kind of indicative of the whole mess, though, is that, is, you know, there's someone who's very injury prone in Ben Chilwell. Uh, they've lost Cucurella, so that, there's, there's some serious misfortune there. But he started the season at left-back with Chilwell in front of him. Yeah. So some people were a bit uncertain about that. And also, going on in the background, we have the club, in order to try and balance the books, moving on yeah. uh, a young left-back to Newcastle, moving on Ian Matson to, to mm. Dortmund. Like These are guys who possibly could do a job when, these, when they're needed, you know? It's sort of just that one position just sort of, I don't know, Typifies the whole mess. There's just a lot of well, muddled thinking. Con- There's a lot of muddled thinking. The continue, Gregor, because you know I know it hasn't worked out. Man United, Mason Mount going, but that was the start of the issue as well. He was a mm. home-produced product that they could get good money for. And why was Mason Mount so discarded by Chelsea so easily? Because they had to sell him because of what they'd done business-wise. That meant they could sell him on a net profit. Mm. So this has been a continual theme of Chelsea. Can I just ask on the manager's point? It's been a theme for a long time with all top clubs that teams who change manager during the season often then have to wait for the summer to get the next person in. Interims, you know, the coach steps in, the former great, we've seen it lots of times, Tottenham, Manchester United uh, in recent seasons. Is that also a factor for these big owners where they're looking around and going, well, who else Who else am I going to get? Say, let's say, I know we're all defending Pochettino here, but if he does have that disastrous January, have they not also got the point that they might be out of both Cups, 11th, and sack Pochettino and then go, well, we've still got four months here exactly. and we might end up finishing 15th? I mean, you ended up with Frank Lampard last season. I want to say ended up, that's not meant to be, it sounds disparaging of, uh, of Frank, but what happened was they sacked Graham Potter and then... They, there wasn't a ready-made replacement, so they made an interim replacement, and that didn't work out. And 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 then they, then it was the summer, and then they got Pochettino. And you think, well, really, you might just all left Graham Potter in charge until the end of the season. I know, I know what I just said about it wasn't making much sense to me, but they weren't going to get relegated, so you might just as well have left him in charge. I mean, they, he was in the quarterfinals of the of the Champions League all the world over. I feel the same with Pochettino. You know, at the end of the season, you can review it, and if you think, um, if you think that there's something better out there, or that you could get more out of another manager or whatever, that's the time to make the change. They're not going to get relegated, so you know. Look, we all know the big mistake was Thomas Tuchel. They had a good manager. They had a perfectly good manager. They had a really good manager who'd won the Champions League, and they sacked him. 
Also, yeah. two, 29 signings and three transfer windows. Well, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's an open. a bit of a mistake yeah, as well. I think we've got to give a bit of criticism towards owners here sometimes because, you know, that we look at them as very successful people, and but they can be pretty daft at times, OK? Mm. Um, I could give you an anecdote story from Chelsea uh, back in the 90s when Ian Porterfield was manager and we were in Canada uh, on, uh, on a tour for a week. And it was the pre-season, just as we're coming to pre-season. And Ian Portfield was saying to us lads, it was me, Vinnie Jones, Andy Townsend, Dennis Wise, I think Stevie Clark, and another player. I can't remember. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Ken Bates was there. And so he's saying, I want Robert Fleck. I want Flecky. I want Flecky. I really feel like Flecky would be brilliant for us. And Ken Bates is listening to him, and he just turns around and says to him, I'll get you bloody Fleck for two and a half million, but if he fouls, you're gone. Right, to Ian Bournefield. Of course, he comes to the club. You don't scale for about four or five games. <laughs> and we're all looking at the manager. He's gone next week. These owners, some of them are crazy. Yeah. You know, they, they make crazy decisions. And yeah. they, do, I, don't, I mean, if they think someone's available and they think, well, we can get rid of him. He's, they decide sometimes overnight. And sometimes it's even boards. And I've heard this before. There'd be a 12-man board. Six are for and six are against. So, And then the manager gets wind. And I've had this conversation with a manager who said, I've got win six were against me on the board. He said, mm. I'm getting out of here. Mm. You know, I have no chance of surviving. So it's the, it's nearly like comedy sketch stuff that happens at football clubs at times, especially with the boys upstairs. Is it's that, actually quite... I've laughed over the years of that, things that have happened. There's that story about when Tommy Doherty was at, uh, was at Derby, and I know this is it's going back. But uh, I want to say Sam Longston uh, or Longdon. It's, it's the quoi. Uh, the quarry business, the quarry lawyers that you see going through Derbyshire, um, Longston, or Long- and he was the chairman of Derby County. And uh, so Tommy's the manager, and there's absolute murders or, or whatever, and the, the form's not going well and everything. And uh, they have this board meeting, and Tommy's there and everything. And Sam stands up and he says, This club has not been the same since you sold John O'Hare. And Tommy looks at him and says, I didn't sell John O'Hare. <laughs> John O'Hare was gone before I came. And Sam stands there for a little while and goes, well, that's why I think, and sits down again. Away <laughs> 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 you go, you know. That's, that's, that is, that's football clubs. But do we think as well, coming back to that ownership, because it's a very good point with Todd Bowley and the Clear Lake, is that part of their thinking that if they get this wrong with the timing, because it's all about narrative, isn't mm. it? You you almost wait for fans to turn on Pochettino before they then. Yeah, because that's otherwise the, the modern way. Because otherwise the, they'll, the they'll turn on they'll turn on them, won't yeah. they? Do you think that's part of the thinking as well? Because as Gregory says and Tony says, they've they've been in charge of the club for quite a while now, and it's not been the most successful time. So they've got to get this this next decision right, whether stick or twist. And if if they change decide to change, well, they've got. They've got as many directors of football, haven't they? As they've got as they've got players, uh, Chelsea. I mean, there's three as far as I as far as I can work out. And you, and that's the. I, I mean, I wrote a column about this a, a few weeks ago, when they were saying about oh they need a striker in the transfer window. And you think, well, would you trust the team that have bought? No. What, what do you say, twenty nine players or whatever it was in in three? Would you trust that team to bring in your new striker? Because it's the same guys that have brought you this player that hasn't really worked and this player that looks well short of it and, and this player that's mm. certainly no better than what went before. And you're thinking you're giving, you're entrusting that to the same group of people, uh, which 
you know, it's when Pochettino was saying, I would like more say in, you know, our next re- recruitment policy. And you think, well, yeah, you know, give it to this guy. Give, you know, this fella must know a player. He must know what he wants. I mean, I, I wouldn't have thought Pochettino would have come up with the idea of having about 48 forwards and no one who actually is a an out-and-out goal scorer. Well, that is a very good point. Tony, I wanted just a very quick-fire question to you as a former striker and a former Chelsea striker, of course. Martin's alluded to it there. A lot of forwards. Do you think any of them are actually good enough to be leading the line for Chelsea? Um, well, Brochure is a, is a don't know, is a coin flip because there's moments you think, yeah, we could solve a problem. Is he good enough? Probably not at the moment. Two thirds uh, of their team are going are don't knows. Sorry. Two thirds of their team are don't knows. That's yes. Right. Well, I was going to say in okay. Cuckoo, we, we he's the one, but I've seen him play mainly on the left for mm. Leipzig, and yeah. and I don't really see him as a centre forward. He's more of a creator. So then you have got Nicholas Jackson, incredibly raw, and mm. you know mm. I never thought the intention was to buy him to be a a starter. I thought it was more of a give him a year, get him you know mm. maybe around the team squad and just see what he can deliver. So it's. Of course. I mean, look, they they wasted a lot of money. Well, it seemed like Lukaku, 100 million. It was going to be a great deal. For whatever reason, it didn't work out. And he looked, looked pretty... Wanted to get out of Chelsea, which was pretty extraordinary. Timo Werner alongside that. And he's nearly spent 200 million very quickly on two strikers who have renowned goals in their CV. You know, got a huge amount of goals between them before they joined Chelsea. Um, so it's a, it's been a real strange dynamic of how... Chelsea has developed a, as a club. Um, look, all I would say as a final word, things are still going okay. I got my Christmas hamper this year. You finally <laughs> you got, got it. it. Oh, you, you finally, finally got, got it. it. I, I was wondering it. about the old Christmas hamper. <laughs> I got God. it. So things are good. But no, I wondered uh, why you were being a bit nicer to them. Yeah, this I bet no one else got and it. And I think because yeah. well, you wouldn't shut up about it. That's why you <laughs> got it. I just what do you oh, get? Oh, Kerry Dixon starving to death. Is it pretty good? Yeah, you get the cheeses and the crackers Very and a um, nice. few other bits, a bit of wine, bottle of wine in there as well. Yeah, nice. it's, it's no nice. kit or anything, it's no official of... merch or anything. <laughs> no, 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 yeah. no, no invitation no. to come no. back. Yeah, <laughs> with a look, little note. Stop banging on about Tom, it. Tom, right? the bottom line is, we only look at Chelsea now as as really are they just a nearly team that are never going to get to the end destination? Yeah. I just don't see that. Well, so that's my final question. You're talking about nearly team, and we're talking about these important cup games, but they're still 10th in the Premier League at the minute. There's lots of you know discussions happen in the Times office at times about oh, a little little moment, and now they'll go on a run. Do we see them going on any run? Just, no. Or do we do we think I they'll think be they'll roughly Barra. around 10th by the end of the season? Yeah, I think they'll beat Barra, and they could make a final... Um, what do I see in them as the same? Um, not much better than a, a top eight team uh, at best. Any better than top eight, Martin, if they can get their act together? No, no not at the moment. Because they're too far away and you look at the teams that are ahead of them and I'm not saying they're all great teams and a lot of them have got their own problems. You know, you, you look at West Ham's injury list now and the fact that it's all in in the forward line and stuff like that. So you don't think they're going to maintain their position for, for much longer. So they'll come back. So there's a few teams that you can see sort of coming back into the pack a little bit more. Uh, and Chelsea could maybe take advantage of that. But, uh, you know, if you see Chelsea in Europe next season... It's in the Conference League, say. It's not in the Champions League, uh, you know, and it's probably not in the Europa League unless they were to unless they were to win a cup. And as far as winning a cup is concerned, you know, they're very lucky, aren't they, that um, this is the last season of the EFL Cup that goes two legs in the semi-final. Yeah. 
Gregor. Otherwise, they're out. Mm. Give me a Premier League finish place for Chelsea. Like they could, they could, you know, get between six and eighth, but. I, I don't think they're going <laughs> to. <laughs> You're right. He's just, just found a new way of repurposing what I just said there. You know, I said seventh, he's are between sixth and eighth. Well, they Do could you be sixth, Martin. You never know. <laughs> West Ham spot. But yeah, I just don't see. I don't see a, like a, them stringing enough results together on a consistent basis. Like, look, you know, they finished the year with a bit of positivity. I was at the Luton game. Yeah. And they knew, but it's like even within a 90 minute, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like that's that's a kind of in a nutshell as their season. Sometimes they were, they were clinical in uh, in the Isn't first half. Same and in... statistic though, Gregor, that they are the only team this season. I I, I read it or it was pointed out to me the other day. But with a lot of these statistics, you don't know if some bloke's just making them up, you know, <laughs> to get clicks or something like that. But it's like they're the only team in the Premier League uh, this season that hasn't been losing at half time. Really? Yeah. Or hasn't conceded a goal in the first half, but I can't believe that's true because I'm sure I've seen concede a goal in the first half. But I think there's, there's some really strange t- statistic that they're the only team in the Premier League that's never been behind at half time this and, season. And they're still 10th and they're still struggling. And still 10th, so something's going. Uh, so, sorry, I, I interrupted Gregor, but I think the point you, you know, you well, were about to make was it, the, inc- the inconsistencies yeah, within, within the 90 minutes. You can minutes. see it within 90 minute games, even the 4 0 win against Preston, Preston in the first half. I think they had five shots and they were horrible. and put Chettino said afterwards they had to get into them at half time mm. they went out and blitzed them in the second half like, there's no consistency about anything they do and that mm. can't be a surprise with the amount of change and the sort of callowness of the team just been told by producer Neil never been behind at half time so there you go not, a, ma- right? not yeah. a made up statistic yeah not a made Martin up statistic yeah. no, uh, but they're the only team aren't they yeah, yeah. I think it's the only, the, the only team that hasn't been losing at half time there you go time. well lacking consistency Chelsea one team who are definitely consistent are Liverpool uh, performing very well at the minute and there's no trouble for them well, always losing at half time yes. Liverpool I mean they've <laughs> always had more comebacks than any other team well quite I mean, and incredible. They, did, they did that against Fulham um, we're only going to touch on them briefly but Tony you wanted to pick out a few players from their win against Fulham yeah um uh, well, I mean, look, give Fulham full credit. I thought they were terrific, especially first half last night. I thought they were terrific in the game, stopping and denying Liverpool every every opportunity. Um, got to mention Conor Bradley, oh, uh, full-back. Um, he runs like Steven Gerrard. And now people get annoyed when you compare someone. To, I looked at him straight last night. And I was, he's a midfielder. He's going to play midfield for Liverpool. Another right back who's going to be a midfielder. He's going to be a midfielder. He has got relentless energy. He covers every blade of grass. He is absolutely perfect to play in a central midfield position for the way Klopp plays. And I, that stood out for me. And the incredible improvement in Curtis Jones. He is He's a man now. He's 22. He's just 22 in January. He's lost that little bit of puppy fat, or you know that sometimes you get. Mm. As a, he is now a well-oiled machine. He was brilliant last night. I thought he's touch. I've seen loads of midfielders who have been different positions. I've seen McGrath play fullback. I've seen Ronnie Whelan play uh, left back for Ireland in, in Bulgaria when they got in the May when Jack Charlton went left back for Ronnie Whelan. Uh, you know, and and I've seen. He he is now a really complete midfielder. So two young players, and I I think there was a part of me with Curtis Jones. He felt like he was being pushed aside when all the change was happening. A lot of midfielders came in with McAllister, obviously uh, Schlobberslai coming in as well, and others. And and I thought, I wonder if, it's going to, if he's going to be away from Manfield. He was given a new contract. Mm. And now I see the reasons why, because I think Klopp really knows that his athleticism is extraordinary. He was everywhere again, a bit like Conor Bradley last night. Brilliant. Conor Bradley, I thought, 
um, when he came on against Arsenal at the weekend. It's the, I've got to admit, it's the first time I've ever really paid attention to him. Which you know, it, and then I'm, I'm reading about him as the game's going on. So I'm thinking, what a good kid this is! A, yeah. a fantastic player. And I've looked at it. He's already played 13 matches for Northern Ireland. Mm. Um, you know, so that tells you something. And he was at Bolton last season. Yeah. Won Young Player of the Year. Yeah. Players Player of the Year. And player of the year mm. at Bolton, which again, and nineteen and, and nineteen, and and he's I think he's twenty now, isn't he? He's yeah. turned twenty now, and I thought against Arsenal at the weekend he looked a fantastic player, a cameo role of about fifteen minutes or whatever. But you looked at him and thought, well, this is now, as Tony said, it could be Connor Bradley that goes into midfield. But you're looking at this and thinking, oh, this is the player that could release Trent Alexander-Arnold mm. to be a, a, a midfield player because yeah. he can play right back all day, this kid. Could be the other way around. Well, keep, Gregor's a full-back and so Gregor can give his version yeah. because I was just so impressed with mm. just watching him. I mean, it was his energy was extraordinary. Yeah. Mm. yeah. No, he looks very modern full-back and you saw Klopp kind of embrace him afterwards just sort of picking it. The only thing, you know, he slid in for Willian to yeah. score brilliantly. He kind of dived in, and then towards the end, you could see he was tiring. You know, there you won't, go. Won't, that's what we want. No, Defenders I'm, union. That's no, I would want to see more of him def- having to defend in one v one situations yeah. and see whether that's whether he's cut out for that. But absolutely, everything else he looks like he's, the bloke he's ready made. Did his trade yeah. in the football league? Get get tight to your man. None of this bombing <laughs> forward. Very quickly on Curtis Jones because I think it's a fascinating point. Tony, does he have a chance at the Euro squad for England? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I just I think he'll be in the Liverpool team a lot of times this between now and the end of the season. Because Klopp, as, as certainly the pre-season that he's had, he now looks a way more athletic midfielder to me. His skill, I mean, see the mm. touch when he took it and went round, round the other way and mm. went round the player. I mean, yeah. his skill levels are, are extraordinary anyway. Massive. England England chance, Martin? Yeah, quite, quite possibly. Look, if you, Jordan Henderson, one would say, is mm. now very worried about his England Calvin place. Phillips as well. That is, yeah, you know, that is possibly one of the reasons behind his... Um, sudden de- desire not to um, take football to the masses in uh, Saudi Arabia and, and want to come home. Um, there's got to be a reason for that, and and I would say quite possibly one of the reasons for it, and one of the reasons that Calvin Phillips only wants to start playing football again, is because they're looking around and you can see other potential partnerships forming in England's midfield. Rice and Curtis Jones is potentially one of them. You know, Rice and Rice and A N other, and there's an increasing number of A N others mm. coming along. Gregor, Curtis Jones, Euros. I think it's unlikely. I think it's more more because of the makeup of England's midfield, and I think I don't think he's going to play as one of the two. You know, either as like a six or an eight, and there's so much competition at like mm. the ten. He's battling him in there as well, isn't he? So I think he'll definitely get the squad. I'm not sure. Okay. Interesting. Well, if you've got views on whether Curtis Jones should make England squad for Euro 2024, you can get in touch with me, tom.clark at thetimes.co.uk. Stick with us. Up next, we're talking about Killian and Bappe and Timo Werner. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark and I'm joined today by Tony Cascarino, Martin Samuel and Gregor Robertson. Now, chaps, it's January, so it's time to talk transfers. But one transfer that's probably not happening, maybe not happening... (laughs) I feel like it's been happening for ages. Kylian Mbappe, is he ever going to leave PSG? Is he ever going to go to Real Madrid? Well, even he doesn't know. As we discussed on Monday's show, uh, the French superstar, very frustrated, supposedly, with Madrid's half-arsed efforts to try and Mm. sign him. What a poor bloke, I've been offered all that money. Um, But Martin, it's been the subject of the column this week uh, that you wrote on Tuesday. The headline of which, now I know you don't write the headlines, but the headline of which was, the English elite should be fighting for Kylian Mbappe, but the rules forbid it. Yeah. Tell us a bit more. Well, it's it's, it's the mild favourite, the profit and sustainability rules again. Newcastle should be able to bid for Kylian Mbappe. It's as simple as that. It would make our league better. It would make Newcastle better. Manchester United should be able to bid for Kylian Mbappe. It would make Manchester United better. It would make our league better. This applies to just about any club that is chasing Manchester City should be looking at Kylian Mbappe, who is one of the greatest players in the world. High maintenance, though, is. There's some high maintenance that is worth it and there's other high maintenance that isn't. Um, He is a player of such incredible standard that, his his high maintenance ness is uh, it might be a, a, a risk worth taking, and anyone who wants to try and catch Manchester City should look at be looking at Kylian Mbappe and thinking this guy would would advance us x amount of points this season. This this guy would get us this much nearer this season. Um, but we have these wonderful profit and sustainability rules that are now costing teams 10 points um, at a time. And Newcastle can't go anywhere near killing Mbappe. I don't think it's right. And I, I, and I think in the end, and I've always said this about FFP, uh, and it's now called profit and sustainability, um, that ultimately it's detrimental to the league. It's detrimental to competition. It cements the same teams in place. Um and over time, your league misses out. You know, we no one we, we can't pretend that Manchester United can't afford Kylian Mbappe because we they absolutely can. Newcastle absolutely can, whether it's through owner investment or however, they absolutely can. Top Premier League clubs can afford this guy, but they won't go for him. So he will go to Real Madrid, and that will advance La Liga. So, do you not think there should be? 
financial rules and regulations around signing players, or do you think it's more that the current rules are just such a joke that the, the current rules they are, don't really oh, work right. anyway? I mean, I'm not. Everyone always goes, "Oh, you, you, you don't want any rules." I go, no, I, I don't want these rules. Hmm. I could understand. So I would, I would have everything uh, put in a bond a year in advance to show that you can afford all of your fees, all of your wages, everything. You know, you've got to prove you can afford it and you can afford what you're doing, and then you can do it. Simple as that. So you're not putting the club in jeopardy. I'm not saying put your club in jeopardy to get Kylian Mbappe, but if you're asking me, would I like to say Kylian Mbappe in our league? Yes. Gregor, your reaction to Martin's. <laughs> uh, look, I'd love to see Kylian Mbappe in in the Premier League. What I've I've always been uh, not not so uh, happy about is the idea of basically unfettered spending. And uh, part of the problem here is he earns three million pound a week, so or three million euros, whatever. It's, it's a lot of money anyway. <laughs> Probably more than anyone needs. Um, and the. My issue with unfair spending is not about what it does to the competitiveness just of the Premier League, although that would be something. I know, Martin, you, you, you make the argument that there's only 11 players can be players put on the pitch. Yeah, that. That's what it does to the rest. So you can only keep 15. My argument is not just that there's only 11 on the pitch. It's If there's only 11 on the pitch and there's five subs, there's only about 16 or 17 players you can keep happy at any one time and the other eight mm. are going to want to leave. So no club will ever get Everybody. I, I just think, look, look, the Premier League's already sort of slightly losing its competitive balance, but the reason it stayed more competitive than La Liga or Germany is because everyone earns the same amount in in Premier League in, in TV revenue, totally. basically. I totally agree with that. So maintaining that that sort of basis of for competitive balance is is important. But for me, also, as I say, the the kind of a broader picture, and it's what it does to the rest of football in England which is the upward drag on you know what other teams who don't have a state backed you know sovereign wealth fund what they have to do how they have to stretch themselves to, to compete and that goes down to the championship and even clubs that fall into league one and whatnot I think that's that's hugely dangerous for for English football and you two you think those two are linked so you think if if Premier League clubs were allowed to spend in a more freer way as Martin suggests, the knock-on could be detrimental to clubs further down the pyramid because of the reach they would then have to make. Yeah, I mean, it already is because of the imbalance with the TV revenue. So if you if you widen that further, I think it, it runs, it goes, you know, it follows that that the, the the gap becomes bigger. Tony, what do you make of the Mbappe situation? Do you think it's all just smoke and mirrors, and actually this is this is we're just waiting for the Madrid? coronation to happen if you like well the disappointment over Real Madrid is that they've been let down a couple of times already haven't they and mm. probably got a bit peeved out it panned out last time there's sometimes in uh, in football in the era you can be in you can have players that are bigger than the club for a period of time I know everyone will say you're never bigger than the club well you know Messi was bigger than Barcelona uh, a club for a number of years um, that come with huge success at the moment You've even got the president of PSG saying we're desperately trying to get killing him. They've been desperate every time they've signed him mm. to a new deal. And he's played the long game and got absolutely everything he wanted. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, Klopp met him, didn't he? They met in Paris um, before, when his last contract was up and tried to talk him into going to Liverpool. And I mean, look, he's probably got every club in the world wanting him mm. to want him because mm. he's that good of a player. Um 
I don't know if you sacrifice something with your team ethic of a team. Remember that, yes, he's won the World Cup with France. He's been in a PSG team that hasn't, as a club footballer, hasn't won the Champions League. And they had to sacrifice, obviously, having Neymar as well in that sort of scenario. And then they had Mbappe and then Messi come. So it, it, do you, at club football, do you pay a bit of a price for having someone that's so important compared to everybody else? Um, I'm not so sure. I mean, I don't deny he's not one of the best players in the world. He's an incredible talent. I see enough of him. I'm watching French football. Mm. And uh, he can do it even when he's having a, all this going on on the outside yeah. of his life with his you know, negotiations. He still delivers and plays brilliantly. Yeah, so, uh, well, that's interesting because obviously I don't follow French football as much as you do. Having well, He's still banging goals he's, for fun. And he's still been playing with, at the highest yeah, level. Yeah, and he looks as dangerous as he's ever been mm. and gets wonderful goals. You know, just typical Mbappe, burst of speed, sees the mm. opportunity, bends it in the top corner. He's an extraordinary talent. Um, yes, I'd love to see him in the Premier League, but how big of a cost would it be? It's not just the €3 million Euros or whatever it is a week. It's every time... Because he's never signed a long-term deal, by the way. No, it's always, always a two- or three-year yeah, deal. So too. anyone who takes him is going to go, got him for two years, mm. two years, and when it's up, he's going somewhere else, probably. I, I just think there's a lot of baggage with killing Mbappe as well. well My argument uh, with Mbappe isn't that anyone should sign him. Because you can look at that and think, well, we're going to destroy our wage structure here. And, mm. you know, it, you know, Peter Beardsley famously had a... Uh, one of the reasons Peter Beardsley... Newcastle had to get Peter Beardsley out of the club as a player at the end of his career is because he had in his contract that he had to be the highest earner at Newcastle. And so whenever they signed a new player... Mm. That to give Peter Beardsley a pay rise, whether he was starting in the team by then or, or, or not. He had to be the highest earning player at Newcastle. Now, you don't know. There could be players at other clubs that have, have got that in their contract, for instance. So, I'm not saying anyone should sign Kylian Mbappé. That's up to them. That's up to them to look at their club and see what they need and, and see what effect this. My argument is they should be able to if they want to. And that is what I don't understand because for all of um, uh, what I, I take Gregor's point about the, the lower divisions and, and stuff like that and this upward upward drag but there is something else as well which is um, this is the, the best league in the world um, in part because it's the most lucrative league in the world and it gives the, our clubs the ability to buy the best players and to make this the most attractive league to watch in the world. It is no longer the league that I grew up watching and, and Tony played in and you played in. To, you know, I mean, I know you're younger than Tony, but if you know what I mean, it's no longer that league. Because that league was an English league or British league based in England. This is a global league that's based in England. And... The reason that it, it, it attracts so much investment is because it's got the best players and the best competition. The minute you start putting rules in place that mean you, you can't get the best players or and you can't get the best competition, that's when the revenue in the league starts to fall down. It's, it's something I mentioned about um, Major League Soccer in America that did this 10-year deal. And I think it's with Apple. And Apple think they've got this fantastic deal, but actually they've killed the product. Because they've got 10 years, they can't 
grow that league. They can't grow that league financially to get better and better. You know, it, it's stuck where it is. Mm. Part of why Sky overpay for English football, without a shadow of a doubt, is to keep English football financially healthy enough to get the best players in, which which provides the best spectacle, which keeps guys' subscriptions up. It's mm. it, yeah, that's all part of it. They they Sky know they're overpaying for English football, but they're doing it to keep English football in the number one position that it is. And I can't understand rules that jeopardise that. I totally take all those points. I, I suppose fundamentally, my starting point is I would even see the Premier League slip a little if it prioritised the health of, of, of the rest of English football, i.e. the pyramid. And that may be because I played in it and it may be because, I don't know, for the first five years I worked here, I've traipsed around the country visiting these places all the time. I, I don't know, but I I think if we're just constantly chasing growth, uh, it, and it will, I think it will come at the cost of the health of of the rest of English football, then I think that's a bit dangerous. There you go, Times Podcast listeners. You thought we were talking about Kylian Mbappe. We ended up talking about the health of the English no, game. But, that, but, but, but the but, two but are absolutely linked. Inextricably linked. The two are, are linked, and you can read more about it if you read Martin's column this week. Now, moving on to transfers that are happening, or have happened, because the Mbappe one, God knows whether it will or not. Timo Werner, back in the Premier League with Tottenham Hotspur. Um, Tony, we were discussing uh, Werner, the player, in your column on Monday over the mm. weekend. A fascinating move. Because he's a kind of player that, as you said in that column, he works very hard, or doesn't he work very hard? Yeah. The only problem is he doesn't seem to score many goals, which as a forward is a bit of a problem. M- m- matching up with Ange Postacoglu could be an interesting one, though. Well, it's one that clearly a manager wants. Um, look, there are managers that see things, and there's people I've worked with in coaching that uh, see things in different players who go, it'd do well for us. Mm. Now, it's a hard one because Timo Werner's had a very indifferent year this year in the Bundesliga. You know, he's only got a couple of goals. Um, he, I think, got about 18 last year. So it's not a bad return. The player that Chelsea bought, we never really saw the best of him. What we saw is... I, I said this. I mean, I joke and said this about myself, but I did say it. I said, Timo Werner's missed more chances for Chelsea than I did. <laughs> That's how bad he was, right? OK. And he, he missed the biggest sitters I've ever seen. Yeah. Numerous games, European games, Premier League games. So, if if the manager really feels the way they play, because I was asked a question, Man United or Tottenham, because they were the two teams that were after him. I said, well, it's got to be Tottenham. He's going to get way more chances. And if he can be clinical in this type of setup that Tottenham have, which is very much a goal scorer's dream. You know, it's quite ironic that Harry Kane's left to go and the mm. team now play the way they do. And it's like, well, Harry's getting 50 here, you know. like. So I I actually, I'm really intrigued about this transfer. I think it's a really left field one where someone's, you have to, again, he's only 27. This isn't a 31-year-old. This is a 27-year-old. You'd like to think everyone would be saying, it's coming into his prime. So I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how it pans out. What I saw at Chelsea was a guy that totally lost his belief. Any striker will tell you, you lose your belief, and I've been there, boy, I've been there, Believe your belief in scoring goals. When that's gone, you're missing the biggest sitters in the world. And he went through that. I came through it and started refining myself as a player, uh, getting goals regular. Confidence is the number one thing on, on strikers. If he can get his belief at Spurs, 
I think he's going to have to hit the ground running because mm. as games go by, it's like the goalkeeper who turns up, who, you Makes know, he drops one clanger and, you know, you have to make big saves. Goal scorers have to take chances and get goals. Just on that point, because I think it's an interesting one and we touched on this when we were chatting um, earlier in the week. Werner is obviously playing football in the age of social media, as we've discussed mm. on this show before, and these sitters that he missed then go get shared everywhere. Yeah. You didn't play in that era. Would it have been tougher for you to come through those periods if you'd had... You know, say mates going bloody hell, Toad, look at that one, and lifting their <laughs> no, phone up. And I going, had, oh, I had, you missed that I one. Had, I had reporters on the Monday morning burying me, and I had ex managers, uh, uh, John Bond always nailed me, always <laughs> nailed me when I was at Villa, that I'd missed the worst chance he'd seen. You know, I just, this, you know, you did get it in a different way. Yeah. And people within the game, you know, your own colleagues, Gregor would tell you, you're in a dressing room, your, your centre forward's missing chances. It's just like the goalkeeper who keeps dropping ones. We go, you know, you call him chocolate fingers and, you know, just dropping everything. And, you know, it, it could be a pretty brutal environment. And I, you know, I've been there. I know that my colleagues are not believing in me. Like we have a goalkeeper and you say a back four, they, they, they trust in each other. That goes on. That's natural in life. Um, but you have to prove your worth. And it's a, it's one heart my one of my biggest successes I feel as a player personally, and I've said this numerous times that I turned my career around and I was so proud that I turned a career around from a player that seemed to be miss a lot. You know, I did a dinner in Glasgow uh, uh, not so long, well, a good few years back, but I was talking and I said, well, I've had I did my personal life and my and my, and my um, professional life, and I was talking. I said, well, I've been married three times, got seven kids, and from from nowhere, a typical Glasgowian said, oh yeah, you got more kids than goals for Celtic, Cascarino. <laughs> <laughs> He's absolutely nailed me, and I laughed. But it, you know, you turning a career around is really difficult mm. to do I did mine at 31 I was absolutely out on the you know on the heap I was I was nowhere I was going I was lucky to give him the dream move and when I did it I gave it my absolute all I was my, my most professional at the bottom of my career really mm. because I decided I was going to give everything for the next I only fought two years because I only signed a two year deal with Marseille mm. end up playing seven more years mm. so I'm I'm always redemption story if Timo Werner can come and give it his all and find the back of the net, I mean, we're not questioning his work ethic. No. We're not questioning his pace. We know he's got goals before. So it's, it's the old Harry Redknapp one, finding something from you know from someone. Yeah. Gregor, Ange Postacoglu, do you think he's the right manager to get, get that, that redemption story out of Timo Werner in the Premier League? It could be. I mean, the thing you, 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 you see a lot from Spurs is basically, this sounds really basic, but their front three and their attacking players running towards goal at pace and a lot of their play is manufactured to get to isolate wide players in 1v1 situation 1v1 situations and get crosses in the box and if he's either either playing as one of those players wide, probably wide on the left that's that's the kind of position he was he was very good at at Leipzig or if he's playing as the man through the middle you'd imagine he's going to have opportunities to show you know to show what he can do um I I was also quite interested looking at his numbers and, and They're not that, that bad. No, when you look at when you look no. at goals and assists, like he said his goal, his goal involvements, I know a striker, particularly when you go for a lot of money to Chelsea, you're you're there to score the goals. But he he scored ninety five in, in his first spell in hundred and fifty nine games at Leipzig. When we had assists at hundred and twenty nine and hundred and fifty nine. At Chelsea he scored uh, goals and assists forty in eighty nine. So he had a goal involvement nearly every, one, other every other game. Mm. It's not, you know, I know there were only 10 Ooh. Premier League goals as well, which is, Ooh. you know, the Premier League is the kind of main currency. Um, but 
Chelsea fans still have a quite you know they find him quite endearing because he was because he worked really hard. Yeah. Chelsea fans liked him yeah. because he worked so hard. And he always put himself back in that next position to try and, you know, yeah. score the goal. So Not uh, be afraid to miss. Absolutely, exactly. I'm with Tony. I really hope it works out for him. And there are there are kind of, you know, glimmers of hope that in a, in a Spurs team that plays so expansively and creates so many chances that you will have opportunities. You've got to be extraordinarily good to play the way that he plays. Because he's arriving at 100 mile an hour, the ball's arriving at 100 mile an hour, that means the defender is arriving at 100 mile an hour as well. You've got to be really good to finish that. Mm. You know, and, and and that's the thing, he's one of those strikers that's so so quick, everything's going so fast. And, you know, you've got to be super clinical. Yeah, well, another player looking for a bit of a redemption story is Jaden Sancho, of course. Um, on the verge, as we do this podcast, of returning <coughs> to Borussia Dortmund. He might well have completed his move by the time you're listening to this. Uh, it's a fascinating decision. He's been out on the sidelines for Manchester United for a long time, pretty much discarded by Eric Ten Hag for various reasons. Um, this is a player that was in the England squad signed by Manchester United, another player signed by Manchester United as a young superstar. This is the right kind of signing, mm-hmm. and it's not worked out. Martin, what do you make of his decision to go back to the club that kind of made him as this young superstar that Manchester United signed? Going back to a manager at Dortmund as well that he knows. Is it a wise move? Well, it's it's wiser than, you know, what he's been doing at Manchester United the last few months, which is nothing. So, in that respect, it's a wise move. It's wiser than going to Saudi Arabia. Hmm where Manchester United were keen to sell him last summer if um, if uh, a permanent deal could have been uh, agreed. So in that respect, it all makes sense. It's somewhere that he knows, somewhere that he's had uh, good experiences before. It's a league that he knows. It's a league that he's succeeded in before. Um, it's a great shame what happened to him at, at Manchester United. He's a, he's a very, very good player. It's a, it's a myth that Pep Guardiola, for instance, didn't care whether he left. He very much did. He very much cared whether he left. He, 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 they tried to keep Jadon Sancho. Pep Guardiola thought uh, Jadon Sancho had first team potential. Um, so he is, you know, the talent is certainly there. It hasn't worked at Manchester United. Obviously, there's there was a, a personality clash with the manager um, the last few months. Um, that hasn't been able to be resolved. I, I, I think that's quite strange that no one at the club has been able to resolve that. I really do. Um, and clearly, not even uh, the new guys that have come in. You know, I'm not saying that you know Jim Ratcliffe can uh, resolve it in, a, in in a flying visit or whatever, but. You know, that whole Ineos team that has come in and obviously they can see no other way other than sending him to uh, Dortmund, paying some of his wages, so he's not off the he's not off the wage bill or whatever. You wonder whether, it, 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 obviously it's a loan because Borussia Dortmund don't want to pay the, 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 the money, but you also wonder whether at United, where people still don't know whether Eric Ten Hag gets beyond the end of this season, depending on the results, whether it's a loan because they're thinking, well, if a new manager was to come in, let's see if we can, you know, let's see if we can change the narrative around Jaden Sancho with a, with a different coach because yeah. it's, it's the coach at the moment that he doesn't get on with, and I'm not saying that makes Eric Ten Hag wrong, um, 
but it is the coach at the moment that he doesn't get on with. You don't know how he's going to click with anyone further down the line. So the club have kept its options open as well. Yeah. So if he's, if he's going to get his place in the England team back, I'm not saying that's his priority, but if he's going to get the place in the England squad back, if he's going, going to start a new chapter in his career, then, yeah, this is a sensible thing to do. It's always a weird one when... You know, if you think of a young man that started a, his career at Man City and has gone and always been praised, always been wanted, cared about, mm. they're doing everything they can to make him a better player. He then goes to Dortmund, has an incredible time at Dortmund. He comes back and then the first time he faces adversity and the player just looks a shadow of the player he was. And that's a strange dynamic because there's been years and years of build-up from a kid of everyone pushing for the right direction, seeing a player, praise is being held you know just been given it from every angle people want you and then suddenly you come and meet a manager further down the line who has problems with you and you're not playing your best football for whatever reason uh, because I'm sure there's a lot of water under this bridge between him and Ten Hag uh, that it's ended up in this sad scenario he's got to go back to Dortmund to sort of reignite his career to some level you'd you'd have to say like we have to remember how how many brave steps he's taken in his career already you know Mm. I know he's this is the first adversity since he's become a star, but yeah. he's, Christ, he's overcome a hell of a lot since... Well, it's a brave move to do anyway, to go as a, a teenager, yeah, to we, go to Dortmund. You forget a, he was the first yeah. to do that. He was the trailblazer. Yeah. James Gurebrandt's mm. written about, about him many times, and he's supremely talented. He was he was tearing up in the Bundesliga mm. for so long. Mm. And I, look, personally, I think he's still got two and a half years left in his contract. I basically would you know, echo what Martin says. I would be surprised if we don't see him for Man United again yeah. Yeah. well that does there is an, an, an always an issue there are players who do say and Greg knows this uh, you know there are players that sometimes think well I'll, I'll outlast him anyway so you know and they hope they get an opportunity along the way well no one will be able to come close to paying his wages anyway so no. you know that what often happens is you keep going on loans if you're if you're still not wanting to buy the club but as I say it wouldn't yeah, be that surprising to see the other uh, thing change before the other thing with Sancho is that um, he was one of the three players that missed penalties in the final um, yeah. that time. And we've seen Saka bounce back. and we, you know, Rashford had an excellent season last year and we've seen other guys. You, you don't really know what that did to Sancho. You don't really know if... Um, you know, he feels more pressure in English football. It's it's a little bit overwhelming. He feels he's got a, a point to prove because, you know, we all know what happened to those three guys afterwards with the abuse they got, social media, online and everything like that. You don't know, you know... because people other, differently. Because the other yeah. two guys have sort of brushed it off to some extent, you sort of think... Oh, that was that was then, and it was nearly three years ago now, and it, it'd be over it or, or whatever. But you never know. You never know. It was, it's a, it's a big thing to have done. You know, I can remember watching Stuart Pearce step up to take the penalty in '96, and you're all looking at him going, "Oh, please don't miss this one, mate. Please don't." You know, because you, you admire him so much for picking the ball up after what happened to him before, and you and you, you know, I can't remember any player where you're just so you know you couldn't care if it hit the bar and then went in the, off the back of the goalkeeper's head. Just let this guy score. Because it, it, you know, it does it does do something to you. How you good know? how good do we think he could be? Just as a final question on Jaden Sancho, because you know, Gregor, you alluded to that early talent and tearing it up in the Bundesliga. Could is he got the potential to be a world world class player? He's not twenty four until March. 
Mm. Has he got the potential to be 10 out of 10, world class, you know, as you say, Saka yeah. has kind of become for Arsenal? Yeah. Can he be that player? Yeah, I, I, I would say so. Raw talent there. Great. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, when he was first broke into the team at Dortmund, he was, you know, he was a, a teenager, kind of. And, and like, I just wonder whether he has that real dynamism that some of the best players, particularly wingers, now have. Like, he's quick, he's got brilliant feet. Just that that kind of power and mm. dynamism. I I just wonder, as I say, from when he, you don't look for that when you, when you're a 17 year old breaking into the the team in, in the Bundesliga, you just look at it and you go, wow. But now he's, as you say, he's still young, but he's in, entering his prime, and I'm not sure he has that to the I'm not real sure elite level. The style of Man United under Ten Hag helped him as much as well. It, it wasn't a very attack-minded gun hope. Dortmund had a very attack-minded team when mm. he was there, didn't they? They had, you know, obviously Harlem was there. Uh, sorry, I'm thinking of the other one. Uh, what I meant to say is mm. the time they got Brent, the lad yeah, Brent yeah. who was there, who who's a really good attacking midfielder, gets on the ball and he can end up in the ten position. Um, I I just feel that Man United, a lot of people are not scoring goals. Mm. You know, not just playing well, but there's quite a number of players. And Rashford had a season last year, um, but the, this year it's gone back to type. Yeah. And it's been a struggle for nearly everybody. Just look at all the forwards who have struggled in front of goal this season for United. But there's a lot of players at United, isn't there? And we'll turn this into Manchester United again. But um, there's a lot of players at Manchester United that have sort of fallen off a cliff. Mm. And you can you can see that sort of if someone's 36 or whatever, because it... It can go like that if you know at a certain age suddenly you, you you know you come back pre-season you've lost a yard and you don't know where from. But you're looking at say like Casemiro for instance a little bit about it is Casemiro had a really good season last year. He's only 31. Mm. You can't quite understand why he appears to have hit this brick wall. If Thiago Silva hits a brick wall at the age of 39 and comes back next yeah. year and and it isn't the same player, you go. Yeah, well, that makes sense, doesn't it? 39, and then suddenly it all catches up with you. Casimiro's 31. Marcus Rashford, I mean, from one season to the next, seems to have, uh, you know, suddenly he's playing like he's 36. Um, it doesn't It doesn't make sense. Something is not clicking with Manchester United like this the season areas, yeah. that, 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 that worked for them last season. Yeah. It worked for individual players last season. It's certainly a factor. We will see what Jaden Sancho can do to turn his career around. And you mentioned Manchester United, Martin. That tees me up perfectly to mention Monday's show when we'll have Matt Dickinson on to talk about all things Sir Jim Ratcliffe, Dale Brailsford and the new regime at Old Trafford. Tony Cascarino, Martin Samuel and Gregor Robertson, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you too for listening. As I say, we'll be back on Monday. See you then. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.